Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. Today, Super Bowl Sunday, uh, there are going to be three teams that show up on uh, State Farm Stadium. They're in Glendale, Arizona. They're going to show up on the field. Team one would be the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, The second team, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Both teams come into the game fairly close, 16 and 3 respectfully, going into the game. But at the end of the game, only one team will walk out as Super Bowl champions. Now, we would like to know what you think about who will be Super Bowl champions. And so there's a number up on the screen right now, 94000. If you just text the word planted, and then in a few moments, if you're not already on our text stream, a few moments there's going to go a survey question out to you. Who are you going for today? Are you going for the Eagles? Are you going for the Chiefs? Or you don't care about them, you're just going for the commercials? And so we'll we'll look at that poll a little bit uh, later on today. One team can win, and winning is sweet. There's just something great about victory. We are are hardwired for the win. We are born to win. The very, very fact that you are here today means that you won the very, very first race in life. You conceived, you were born, you're here today, so you are already a winner. If you don't feel like you got victory, I'm here to declare victory over you today. And so winning feels so good. I like winning. Anybody else like winning? Losing, losing always seems so horrible because we're not really wired for defeat. If you don't believe me on how horrible defeat is, watch the Super Bowl. At the end of the game, there's going to be one team parading around. There's going to be confetti. They're going to be celebrating, hugging each other. Someone's going to get doused in a big tub of Gatorade. You know, there's going to be a big celebration. But it's simultaneously on the side of the field, there are going to be 300-pound linebackers that could crush your ribcage with their smile. And they're going to be sitting on the field on the losing team crying like babies. Why? Because losing feels so bad. Then there's a third team on the field. The third team on the field are the officials. They are empowered by the commissioner to arbitrate the game. There are Seven officials led by the head referee, Carl Sheffers is a referee uh, on today's game. And they are called to officiate between this battle between the Eagles and the Chiefs as they fight on the field. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. I want to do a message today. I've, I've titled this, a, a Super Bowl parable. A Super Bowl parable. I want to talk about you, the church, and the sweet taste of victory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive. We thank you that it's powerful. We thank you that it reads us more than we read it. We thank you that it can speak into the very fabric of our heart and change us from the inside out. That's what we want you to do today. 
God give this message a prophetic edge, that it wouldn't be just another message on another Sunday, but stir us on the inside, that we could be conformed today through your word more into the image of Jesus. Work with me as a preacher. Work with the congregation as they hear. Lord, let them have ears to hear, Holy Spirit, what you're saying to them individually and to us collectively. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, So in my parable that I've created of the Super Bowl, you are the field. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, says, you are God's field. When researching this message, I, I, I downloaded the NFL rule book. And it was interesting to me that pretty much the very, very first thing that came up in the rule book was the, was the outline of the field. It talks specifically about the field. It gives the plan for the field. It gives the outline and the size of the field. It gives the boundaries of the field, even the maximum dimensions for a logo that can fit in the center of a field is given in that rule book. You are God's field. With that analogy, that you need to understand that God has a plan for the field, that God has a plan for your life. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. God has outlines for the field. God has capacity that he has set for the field. And every one of us has a different level of capacity. We're all called to do different things at different levels at different times. And we shouldn't get into comparing our capacity with somebody else. It's just the way that God has wired us. And that way, we shouldn't get jealous of other people. Uh, we shouldn't resent other people if they're doing more than us. We should just realize, you know what, God, you've given me this level right now, but you want to take me to become more. People that are further on from us should inspire us to be better, not cause us to retreat and go back. God also sets boundaries on the field. Now, the purpose of the boundaries and the you know, the touchdown lines is so the game can be played. There can be victory. People aren't just running everywhere, just going crazy. And boundaries are actually healthy. Uh, boundaries are good. Most people don't like them, but boundaries are there to help us. Years ago in Australia, in the outback of Australia, there was a school and the teachers noticed that at lunchtime, the students would huddle really close to the building. They wouldn't go out and, and play. They'd stay real close to the building. And then they decided to put some fences up around the school. So they erected some fences way out, and they found out that as soon as they put the fences up, the children left the safety of the building, and they started to explore the area around them, and they were able to go and stay within the safety of those boundaries. I believe that's how we have to see God's plan for our life, that the boundaries that he put in our life aren't there to hinder us or to limit us. They're actually there to free us. They're actually there to liberate us. They're actually there to give us a purpose and a vision. Then we find that God also has set boundaries up. He says, I want my name to be in the middle of the field. That, that in the center of our life, 
We construct the name that's above every name. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Savior of the world. That Jesus' name would be in the center of everything that we do in our life. Is there anybody in the house that's put Jesus in the center of everything in your life? My parable of the Super Bowl, you are God's field. And on that field, two teams are competing for the win. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Two teams. Team number one, the mindset of the flesh. Team number two, the mindset of the Spirit. The first team is the flesh. That's a mind focused on self. It's lustful desires and passions. It's living for the moment. It's what the Bible calls the carnal mind. The uniform for team flesh is self-centered mindset. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. The game plan for team flesh is a mindset that leads to death and destruction. Scripture says here, for to be carnally minded is death. It has an agenda. It's taking you somewhere. The opposition of team flesh is the spirit. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The second team is a mind focused on spiritual desire, the things of God, the kingdom of God, the spiritual mind. The uniform of team spirit is a God-centered mindset. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. The game plan of team spirit is a mindset that leads to life and peace. For to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The opposition of team spirit is the flesh. It says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. These teams battle on a daily basis. There's a battle between your spirit man and between the man of the flesh. There's a battle. And every one of us is going to fight that battle. You're going you're gonna, to, unless you're just living for the flesh and you don't care about the spirit, then there's not much of a battle. But as soon as you walk into the kingdom of God and you set Jesus Christ up as Lord and you want to start to live to please him, then all of a sudden the spirit man rises up, the flesh man rises up, and on a daily basis, they are fighting each other on the field. And you have to make a decision of what team that you're going to support. There's a battle in your life. That battle is so strong that Paul, the super apostle, made this comment. He just got aggravated with himself. He's like, oh man, the thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, I just keep doing it. There's a battle. He's like, who will deliver me from this body of death? Anybody ever had that battle? Agitated with yourself? Oh man, I, I want to do that thing, but I keep Doing, I don't want to say that dumb, and I keep, I don't want to get angry, but I keep getting, try to stay gentle. It's a battle raging inside of us. My parable of the Super Bowl, 
You are God's field and the teams, mind of the spirit and mind of the flesh, are in a head-to-head battle for victory. And so that battle then requires the third team, that God brings the officials into your life. You are God's field. But it also says here that we are God's fellow workers. We're God's fellow workers and you are God's field. Paul is saying that about the church. Paul is saying that he has brought you into the church. He has set up leadership and authority in the church to help you navigate this battle of the flesh and of the spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, he said he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro with the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes so Paul is writing he says listen you're God's field we're God's workers and God has placed workers to be able to help navigate this game be able to navigate life to be able to help you in life and so he gave apostles he gave prophets he gave evangelists he gave shepherds he gave teachers why so that we could walk in unity that we could walk in maturity that we could have the fullness of Christ that we'd no longer be children that there'd be a level of the inside of us growing up into being the people that God's called us to be we are God's fellow workers that's the church and it's not just about one ref. It's never, it's never just about the pastor. It's never just about the senior pastor. The lead pastor has their role, but we have to have a network. We have to have a team. On the Super Bowl today, there's not one referee. There's seven officials on the ground. There's people watching it, you know, in a video booth. There's people in New York checking out the game. There's a lot of people involved in helping navigate the game. And so I'm in the kingdom of God. God puts people into your world. God puts people into your life to help you navigate the game. When Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, he, he, he gave a parable to his disciples and he said, listen, I'm, I'm going I'm to leave the church in your hands. The, the way he gave the parable was a, a king, a master was going away on a long journey with no no, no comeback date, just a long journey. I'll come back one day and, and we don't know what that day is, but I'm going to come back one day. And so he, he said, uh, King's going to go away and he's distributed talents. He gave somebody five talents, somebody two talents, somebody one talent. Each had a different capacity, each had a different dimension. The king goes away and he comes back and he calls people to account for what he did in their life, what he gave them. That's what Jesus has done. Jesus has gone away. He's going to come back one day and you and I individually will stand before God and God's going to go, what did you do with the time I gave you? What did you do with the talent I gave you? What did you do with the treasure I gave you? How did you build my kingdom with your life? We're going to give an account for that, every one of us. But then Jesus also prayed this prayer just before he ascended. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word 
is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We are God's fellow workers, and as Jesus was sent, we are being sent, backed by the authority of heaven. Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So as Jesus was sent, we're being sent. Jesus has all authority and all power has been given to him. And then he says, I want you to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Not just get people saved, make disciples. It begins with salvation, but discipleship is a process. God says, I put people in your life to bring change to your life. Now, those officials don't get their authority from the field and they don't get their authority from the teams. The officials on the field today, they get their authority from the commission in New York. We don't get our authority from anywhere except heaven. God engraces us, engages us, and empowers us to have his authority on earth. We are God's fellow workers, and we are God's officials. Our responsibility, be the, be the calm in the storm. Call plays that are in dispute. Sound the whistle when we see a problem. Throw a flag when we see a penalty. Ensure a free flow of the game. Jesus prayed this, he says, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And that's the church. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. The referees today will be on the field. They'll be in the game, but they're not of the game. The game is not about them. The the more that they disappear, the better. The game is about the teams that are competing. So they are on the field, but they are not of the field. We are, as a leadership team and as pastors and leaders as a church home, we are called to be in your life, but we are not called to live your life. We are called to help you make wise decisions, but we are not called to make the decisions for you. God puts officials in your life because we know for sure that one team is not going to play fair. We know that one team is going to cheat One team is going to look for loopholes. One team is going to do whatever it possibly can do to try to win the game. And so God puts officials in our life because he knows that one team is not going to play fair. And we know that the flesh doesn't play fair. We know that the flesh will try to break the rules. The flesh is going to try to push you outside the boundaries. The flesh is going to have too many men on the field at the same time. The flesh is going to play with unsportsmanlike conduct. And so God puts officials in our life that can help navigate the game. So the officials are in the game because Jesus is not pulling anybody out of the game. Even though it's difficult, Jesus is not pulling us out. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus is praised. He says, listen, I know it's going to get difficult. I know it's going to get hard. I know there's going to be a battle between your flesh and your spirit. I know there's going to be those, I know those challenges are going to be there. But, but hey, I am not, I'm not pulling you out. I'm not even asking the Father to pull you out. I want you to be in the world, but not of the world. 
I want you to be in the wall, but not stained by the wall. I want you to be right there in the middle of society, right in the midst of of sin and brokenness and hurt. Why? Because those people need Jesus. So I need you to be in there, but not participate and become one of them. I need you to stand out from them so you can bring hope to them. That's the plan of God. She says, I want you to be in the world, but I don't want you to be of the world. Gerald Brochette on his uh, New American Commentary wrote this. I thought this is brilliant. The prayer of Jesus was not for God to send something like rescue planes to evacuate the disciples from their hostile setting in the world. Such a plan would destroy God's mission through them. Nor was it to wrap them up in some plastic, danger-free safety casing where they would never encounter evil. But the prayer of Jesus was to protect them from succumbing to the onslaught of evil or the evil one. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. There is a, an intended uh, God partnership between God's leadership and God's people. It's not always an easy partnership because we prefer to do our own thing than to listen to the officials. It's not always an easy partnership because we have to navigate past judgment calls that were made by leadership that were wrong or unfair. It's, it's a challenge because discipleship comes at a personal cost. Most people do not want to be told what to do. And some of you are really good at that. If you're honest, you're like, I don't really like being told what to do. It's just true. It's so so interesting to me what we will rebel over. I don't want to be told what to do. Maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you're like, no, I'm a spirit man. I am submitted to the things of God. I am submitted to authority. Well, I've been saved 50 years. God's word's in me. Well, then remember that next time you come into church. And one of the hosts says to you, would you mind sitting here? (laughs) Never have our hosts been more abused by Christians than by suggesting they sit in a seat. I, I don't know how anybody can help you with any sort of level of discipline in your life for big things. If the big thing for you on a Sunday is like, told me to sit in a different seat. If that you, you are going to struggle with any sort of leadership in your world. So be nice to our hosts. They have a job to do. Maybe that's the first step that you can do in just being obedient to the things of God. So some people find it difficult because... You know, to be honest, there's been abuse in leadership. There's been leaders in the past that have been very abusive and spiritually manipulative, and I get that. They, 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 they find it hard to trust uh, because leaders have broken trust. They put, their, they put their faith and their, you know, trust in a leader only to have that betrayed. But despite the mistakes, despite the failures, and despite the challenges, the reality is God sets leadership up into your life to help you be the best that you could possibly be. In my parable about the Super Bowl, it's about you, it's about the church, and it's about the sweet taste of victory. The, the battle requires the third team, the officials, who didn't write the book but must officiate from the book. 
I think that's important for us all to remember. Jesus said, I have given them your word. We have God's word. And as we try to officiate and help people with the game, we have to be mindful. We didn't make this up. This is not my word. The Bible is not my word. The Bible is God's word. And as we make calls according to God's word and in compliance with God's word, even though they may be challenging, the reality is that they're all there to help us to be better. My parable of the Super Bowl, it's about you, it's about the church, it's about the sweet taste of victory. The battle requires that the third team, the officials who are committed to obeying the book, even when it's not popular, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Why? Because of his word. You go to work on Monday and amongst the whole heap of people that aren't right with Christ and I, I, I live my life according to the Bible. You watch. Why? Because they hate the word of God. People hate the word of God. I've given them the word. And so as officials, when we're making calls, not every call that we're going to make is going to be popular. It's not going to be popular with society. It's not going to be popular with people. But we've still got to live our life in compliance with what the God said, what the Word of God says. I, I know that may not uh, help your flesh, and I know that may not help your ego, and I may that may not be where you want to go. But God's Word is God's Word, and we didn't write the Word, but we are called to be administrators of God's Word. And the thing that we've got to make sure is that when society starts to boo, ah, yell, that we don't let the jeers from the crowd distract us from being obedient to the word of God Roger Cadell who's the leads the NFL he made this comment in an interview this week he said Eagles supporters he said are pretty good at booing <laughs> we may not like all the rules especially when we break one and we're called into account for it but in the end of the day, the rules are there for a reason, not just for the sake of having rules. My parable of the Super Bowl is about you, it's about the church, it's about the sweet taste of victory. The battle requires the third team, the officials who follow the will of the commission, not of the players. I have given them your word. Jesus has given us his word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. God has given us his word. That's the, de that's the defining line. That's the, the creation of the boundaries. And, and interestingly, when you, when you read God's word, God's word is not designed to constrict us. God's word is designed to free us. Jesus said, I came to give you Life and to give you life more abundantly. We have, we have been negligent in the church to make people think that, that they are not called for great things, that somehow God wants to constrict and restrict and bind and hold and control. But God has come to set us free. He's come to let us live life and to have life abundantly. And so God's word is not designed to constrict us. It's designed to release us into being everything he's called us to be. You even take the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. So God says, rule number one, I'm God. 
Don't put any other gods before me. Just that one rule there is not to constrict us, that's to release us. God says, if you put me first in your life, then I'll put you first. I'll, if you look after my kingdom, I'll look after your kingdom. If you build my house, I'll build your house. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will get added to you. The context of that scripture was about money. It was about stuff. It was about clothes. It was about cars. It was about stuff. Jesus was talking about stuff. And Jesus said, listen, don't put money before me. Don't put stuff before me. Don't put your house before me. Don't put your hobbies before me. Don't put your sport before me. Put me in number one place. And then if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things that you're chasing will get added. We'll get added. Now, we've taught that, like, seek first the kingdom of God and don't anticipate to get any of that stuff. Make God number one, but you better not believe for a pay raise. You better not believe to prosper. You better not believe to be blessed. Don't believe, just put God first. That's not the Bible, my friend. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will get added. Why? Because the law of God is to set us free and not to constrict us. You shall not make idols. Well, that just makes sense. Like if you can make the God, you can control the God. Why would you pray to a God you created? If you make, if you make a God out of a rock, it can't talk to you. It can't listen to you. It can make you maybe feel good, maybe sort of fulfill some religious feeling in you but it can't communicate it can't do anything so God says don't make idols why because I want to talk to you I want to be involved in your life I want to be up close and personal I want you to feel my presence you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain why because honor releases the blessing of God and as we honor God God releases his blessing on our life and so God says don't dishonor me I'm God I'm God. So you should honor me as God. But when you honor God as God, he's not like, thank you very much. I was waiting for... No, he wants to release his presence and his blessing all over our life. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why? Because rest and refreshing is intelligent. Honor your father and your mother. It, why? Because it comes with a promise of long life and there's a possibility of less beatings. You shall not murder... Killing is never a good thing to do. You shall not commit adultery. Don't join yourself. Don't have a spirit tie with somebody else because that's a knot so tight that even a skilled raw arranger couldn't get it undone. You shall not steal. That's just intelligent. Don't steal. Why? Because even thieves know having things stolen from them is bad. It's a little bit like cannibalism. Cannibals know eating people is not good. How do we know that? Bite them on the leg. They're not going to enjoy it. Thieves know. Theft is not good. Steal something from them. They don't want that to happen. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, if you start to create this uh, uh, deception, deception is a hard game to play. You start with one lie, and then you're going to create a whole heap of other lies to be able to validate the previous lies. And you end up trapping yourself. And that's not healthy. You shall not covet. Why? Because coveting other people's stuff is exhausting. 
because you're always going to meet somebody who's just a little bit further and got more stuff than, than you. And so when you start coveting other people's things and then you finally get it, what you chase after for so long and you're like, hmm, this didn't really change me too much. So all these things are designed by God to set us free, not to create limitations. My parable, the Super Bowl, it's about you, it's about the church, it's about the sweet taste of victory. That battle requires the 13, the officials who judge, knowing that all their judgments are judged. Sanctify them through the truth, your word is truth. You sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. Your word is is truth, the Word of God. We are accountable to the Word of God. That's the governing mandate. The problem arises in the church when we start to add our own rules to the rule book. The problem arises in the church when we start to add different things from our culture or our society that, that shadow the Word of God. The Pharisees and the Sadducees did that brilliantly. They were dotting I's and crossing T's and they were, you know, straining at gnats and swallowing camels and they were, they were stepping away from God's Word and creating their own rules and regulations. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. As you've sent me, so I am sending them. When, when Jesus was sent into the world, how was he sent into the world? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You just simply believe in him. You will not perish, but have everlasting life. Next verse. For God did not, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. So Jesus didn't come to wield the fist of judgment. He came to open the arms of grace. Now we have a responsibility to receive that grace, but Jesus didn't. And so as Jesus was sent, so we are being sent. Book of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So Paul's writing here, he says, Look, I know it's tough, but if you can submit, if you can get yourself under leadership, whether that be under a pastor, under a small group leader, in a teaching class, some sort of a discipleship area, if you can bring yourself into the kingdom of God and get submitted to leadership, even though it gets difficult, God put those people in your life and He's going to hold those people accountable. And so Paul's saying, don't make their job miserable. Don't, don't kick and scream and, and, and yell and be rebellious about the things that God wants to do in your life. It's not the absence of making a call that we need. It's the right spirit behind the call that is made. That's where the church has always gone sideways. This is a challenge in church life. You've got people that have added rules and they're blowing whistles and they're throwing penalty flags on things that aren't even in the Word of God making up their own rules along the way. I don't like what you're wearing. Wear something different. Like that's not, that's not my style or fashion. This one's a big one. We don't like your music. We want something from the 20s, preferably the 1820s. Bring back the organ. Bring back the hymn book. These are just calls on plays. Well, it's, if it's modern, it's worldly. That's probably one of my favorite. And I, I don't know how things 
change from being unholy in one generation and then just give it enough time until it's no longer cool that all of a sudden the church can embrace it and make it holy. It's like holy through metamorphosis or something like that. So people will know, I don't like that music. I don't like those lights. Had somebody recently say, oh, church is going to be more than a disco. I don't want the church to be a disco. Don't make the church like a disco. I was like, when was the last time you were actually ever in a disco? <laughs> like, I couldn't describe to you one nightclub in town. I don't even know what technology they have. You know why I can't describe it? Because I haven't been there. So if you, as an adult, go, this is just like the nightclub, then you must have been there on Friday night to make that comparison. <laughs> oh, it's all worldly. It's all, all godly. You know, if it's fun, it can't be godly. I know there's got to bound to be somebody here today that when we threw those beanbags and gave out that Super Bowl thing, they're like, oh, I can't believe they're doing it in the church. What's that got to do with Jesus? I tell you what's got to do with Jesus, nothing. We didn't, we didn't try to make it a Jesus illustration. We just threw beanbags in the air into a hole and gave somebody a prize. What's the spiritual significance? None. We didn't do it to be spiritually strong. We did it, why? Because we laughed. That's a fun thing to do. Why do we do it? Because some people came in today and they had a hard week. And maybe they just loosened them up a little bit to forget about the things that they... We don't need a reason. There's a whole heap of things that you do. <laughs> Judge not that you shall not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye when you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your eye. On today's game, as the officials are officiating, making up to 180 calls on the game. They're not just doing that on their own. There is a team of officials watching the officials. They are being judged for their judgment calls. Some of those refs are put in place today because some of the other refs made bad calls or didn't see calls or made didn't overturn calls in the year. And so there's a scoring system. And so even the judges are being judged for their judging. And this is what the Bible tells us to do. We, we've got to make judgments. You've got to make calls. But Jesus is pretty clear. Hey, be careful how you make that judgment call. Like before you make the judgment call, realize that whatever measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. And so if you want grace to be measured back to you when you make a bad judgment call or make a do a bad then you want to make sure that you're showing grace to somebody else when you're making a judgment call on their life I know for me I want to operate in grace and mercy why because I need a lot of God's grace and mercy 
I know there's been times I've navigated through incredibly difficult situations and, and, and got to the other side. When I got to the other side, I'm like, God, I feel like you carried me on angels' wings. But then I realized that previous decisions have set up a buffer zone of God's grace that will carry me through life's most difficult challenges. And I want to encourage you, if you, if you, if you measure on the minors and you're looking for every little tiny dot in someone's life, don't be surprised when God measures that back to you and starts to investigate you on every area of your life. When sin originally happened in the garden, when Adam and Eve first sinned, and as soon as sin came, the judgment of God's light came on them. And what was their, what was their first assessment? We feel naked and we feel exposed. So to handle that feeling of nakedness or being exposed, what did they do? They went and they hid themselves because they felt exposed. That's how judgment works. Judgment works by when you, when you, when you sin or you do something wrong, you, you open up judgment over your life. And so God's light shines down on you. Now God's light shining down on you. Every little detail of your life is exposed. When every detail of your life and you just in your spirit feel convicted, then now, now you've got to cut something else down to cover up the conviction inside your own spirit. That's why you find critical people. That's why you find judgmental people get out of control with their judgment. It's like they get on a cycle that they can't get off. They make a judgment, then they get judged. Because they feel judged and exposed, they, make, they, they have to chop somebody else down to cover up their sin. I encourage our church, I encourage leaders all the time. Listen, if you're around somebody and they're super critical about every other leader, if they're talking smack about every other pastor in town, if they've got a list of pastors that they feel like that aren't men or women of God in the United States, they're sitting back making judgment on all those people. Don't set them up as being geniuses in the kingdom of God. Me, I want to know what's wrong in their life. Because if you're going to pull down everybody else, I want to know what you're trying to hide in your life. Because when you start to judge, you'll be judged. And the measure you judge will be measured back to you. And if that's an unrighteous measurement, then you're going to have to cover up your sin to be able to deal with the judgment that is on your life. And the same in the church with leadership. As, as your pastor and as leaders in our church, we're not always going to make the right call. We're going to try to make the best call. But I want to encourage you as a leader, if you make the wrong call, let somebody know. I, gave, I asked you to do this the other day. I asked you the wrong way. I, I, I did the wrong thing. I, I, I made a mistake. I didn't, I didn't hear all the facts. I didn't research everything. I just made a call. I made a gut reaction. It was the wrong call. Please forgive me for making the, the wrong call. And if somebody judges you the wrong way, I think it's fair enough to ask for a review. Can, can, we, can we get a replay on that? Can we, can we go and get a video ref to have a look at this? Because I feel like that was an unfair. I think if, if, if a leader's trying to help you, they make an unfair call. Rather than rejecting everybody and rejecting everything, they just say, hey, ooh, I think that was unfair. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand that. You may not understand my whole situation. And with a little bit of conversation, we can help people navigate even the most difficult things in their life. The parable of the Super Bowl, it's about you, it's about the church, it's about the sweet taste of victory. 
the battle requires that the third team, the officials, don't throw flags for the sake of making penalties. A righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I'll continue to make it known, make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. As the referees, as the officials that God puts in people's lives, our judgments are gonna be judged. But I, I think understanding this principle is incredibly important. The love with which you have loved me may be in them. Every call that we make must be made with a sincere love to the person we're trying to help. So we may have to make a judgment call, but we're not trying to judge you. And as Christians, I think it's important for us to remember to judge actions and not intentions. When I read the NFL rule book, well, I didn't read the whole book. I got other things that are boring to read, like bylaws. But when I read, read the NFL, I was interesting that right at the front, they've got the field, but then it has these two terms. It talks about the term illegal, and then it talks about the term flagrant. He says, when we use the word in this rule book called illegal, we're not saying that somebody broke the law. Somebody broke, you know, has done something wrong in society. They made an illegal move. They're not going to get arrested by police. It was a bad decision in the game. But then they also talked about this thing called flagrant. They said, when we use the word flagrant, like, a, like excessive celebration or roughing the passer or something like that, that seems like an action someone has done, it's a flagrant penalty. They say, we are judging the action and not judging the person. We are saying that what they did was wrong. We're not saying that they are evil people. The guy that has excessive celebration, they're saying, hey, don't do that. That's not right. But not making a judgment call on the heart or the intent of the person. I think that's very important for us as the church to remember. As leaders, as people in the kingdom of God, that we can judge an action, but we don't have to write off the person. We can help people correct their action, but we're not saying that they're bad or even evil. We're just saying that right there was a bad decision, probably going to destroy your life. My parable about the Super Bowl, it's about you, it's about the church, it's about the sweet taste of victory. The question is for us, what officials have you set up in your life to give you victory? Who are you accountable to? Who are you connected to? Who can challenge you? Where are you planted? Who do you do life with? Who are you listening to? Who is helping you? Who is working with you? We all need those people in our life. We need people that can speak into the fabric of our life and say, hey, that is a bad decision. That's going to be a bad call. We need people to go to that when we are making decisions, that we can run that decision past. What would you do in a situation like this? I got friends all over the world that I can call and I can say, help me in this. Some are skilled in other areas and some are skilled better in other areas than them. But somebody you can call, 
I got people in my life, inclusive my wife, but I got people in my life that can be, don't do that. That's really dumb. My wife is really good at that. And my three daughters are absolutely gifted in that. But they have that, they have that authority. Why? Because I love them and I know that they just want the best for me. But I also got friends in my life that if I did something crazy in the church, that any of our deacons or leaders could go to them and say, hey, you need to talk to, to John. He's lost his mind. And these people could step in at any point and they would have authority. Why? Because I've given them authority. But who has that for you? I, I know I've set that up for me because I know I need the boundaries. I know I need the help. But who, who is that person for you? If, if you don't have a home church, then Anna and my hands are up to be your pastors. We want to lead you. We want to help you. We want to empower you. We want to teach you. We want to facilitate the best of God's world over your life. If you don't have a home church, our hand is up to help you be all that God has created you to be. If you don't have a home church, our arms are extended today at Word of Life to welcome you with grace, to welcome you with love, to welcome you with mercy. Word of Life, our arms are open. You'll hear it when you walk through the door every now and then. You're going to hear the phrase. And that's what we want it to feel like. We're not inviting you to a judgment zone or a critical zone. Welcome home where we can do business of life together and we can be all God has created us to be together. Word of Life is a church home. It's a church home where we want people to encounter Jesus. We want people to be planted in Christian community. We want people to fulfill their purpose and we want people to live on God's mission. But that only happens when we are connected as disciples into the house of God. Only happens when we're disciples. And I want to invite you to join a small group. This season of small groups is wrapping up in just a couple of weeks and we'll do a month of revival nights on Wednesday nights and then there'll be a whole new season where you can get plugged into a connect group. I want to, I want to encourage you, if you're not planted in a life group right now and, and uh, engage with that, you need to get plugged in. Young, old, single, married, wherever it is. God wants to get you plugged in. Why? Because we need leadership in our life. Here's a cool thing all over the world, grandstands, auditorium. There are going to be people in the grandstands cheering teams on. You have, you have a team of people in heaven that are cheering you on, saying, come on, you can do this. You can make it. You can be all that God has created you to be. They're in the grandstands of heaven. They've already run their race. They've already received their prize. They're sitting down right now and they're looking at you and saying, come on, you can do this. You can make that. You can be that. But you've just got to get the right people into your world to help you run faster than you've ever ran. You've got to get people into your world that can help you jump higher than you've ever jumped. We want people in your world that can get you to think bigger than you've ever thought before. We want people in your world that can expand your capacity to believe that God can do things in your life that you right now think, no, I'm not even sure that God can do that in me. You need people to cheer you on, to say, come on, you can be better. You can be stronger. You can be smarter. You can be faster. You can be holier. You can, you can be all that God created you to be. And we want Word of Life to be that church that doesn't sit there just throwing out rules and throwing out flags, but encourages that everybody gets the opportunity to apply God's Word to their life 
and be all God's intended for you to be.